Bienvenidos al Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. On this podcast, we explore the complicated challenges of being part of, serving in, and growing a migrant church in your siglo XXI. As first-generation immigrants age out of their leadership and the Mestizo Church transitions to the second and third generation, how does the migrant church continue to thrive? What should a migrant church look like today? These questions and more will we explore together with your hosts, Emmanuel Padilla y la Dra. Elizabeth Conde Frazier. Your hosts are Puerto Ricans, so you're going to hear some Spanglish de vez en cuando here on the Mestizo Podcast. It's part of who we are. On this episode, we hear from our sister y madrina, Elizabeth Conde Frazier, about her newest book, Atando Cabos, Latinx Contributions to Theological Education. We discuss the loose ends she explores, the importance of dreams, and what we can all learn about how education is changing from the margins. So sientas en casa, make yourself at home, and let's get started. Hi, Elizabeth. Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good. How's married life, bro? You know, married life is great. It's a it's a gift. Uh, it uh, it is a joy to be um, to be with someone. You know, instead of having to to drive home, I I told a friend of mine recently. You know, the, those last few months of of engagement life suck when you're you're you know you're you live forty five minutes away from each other. You spend the, the evening having dinner, and then at the end you gotta go. Okay, time to drive home. That was uh, that was starting to get exhausting. So that's a gift. I did inherit an unexpected friend. Um, I did inherit a, a, a cat. My wife is a cat owner, has been a cat owner for many years. So I inherited a cat named Toby. I, I, I bring up his name because you might hear me yelling at Toby at some point during this podcast. No matter what I do, I can't find a way to tell him the podcast studio here is out of out of out of bounds. He can't be here. No matter what I say, that that cat finds a way. Well, we'll 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 deal with Toby. I've <laughs> I've uh, inherited a cat here too. Oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Her name is Al, and uh, let me tell you, I'm not a cat person, but Al comes in. I wasn't in. either. Al comes in and uh, she waits for me in the morning, and she jumps up on the table. Yeah. As I'm preparing my cereal. Yeah. And she laps up the milk from my cereal she steals your milk she goes she just laps up the milk from my cereal and mind you i've put a bowl of milk out for her but no it has to be with the cereal and the banana <laughs> and everything in there that's the one she has to lap up that's the one she wants uh <laughs> toby don't do anything like that the, the only thing that toby does that i think is is it's still the thing that most blows my mind is he knows how to turn doorknobs and open doors. So that's You're why, yeah, that's why the podcast studio ain't off limits. I can close the door all I want. This cat's gonna find a way to open that door and say, no, nah, en esta casa soy yo el que, que dueño. You know, he, he belongs here more <laughs> than me. So so FYI to everyone listening, you might hear some meows in the background occasionally because Toby's going, wait a minute, I want to be a part of the conversation. And you'll get to be introduced. It'll just be what it is. We've all inherited Toby. How's that? Okay, let's go for it. <laughs> Well, hey, listeners, this is a bonus episode where we are talking to Elizabeth about her book, Atando Cabos. Before we go into the conversation about her book, though, I'd like to let you know that you can now support the work we're doing on a regular basis. World Outspoken 
uh, recently set up a way for you to join our support communities and help us to continue to extend the work that we're doing. So if you wanna be a part of that community, you get certain benefits like listening in on special conversations. Later in the spring, there'll be some additional webinars we'll be doing. There'll be some benefits to being a part of these communities, but you can go to worldoutspoken.com slash give now. That's worldoutspoken.com slash give now. You can scroll down and you'll see the membership communities. There are three of them. And you can join the one called Podcast Support Community and get access, as I mentioned, to special conversations with some of the World Outspoken team and some additional people we'll be bringing in as well. It's an opportunity for you to get on the inside of what we're doing and to extend the work we're doing for the church. So feel free to be a part of that. The other thing I'd like to mention is this won't be the only fall bonus episode that we'll do. There's a couple uh, that we'll be kind of sprinkling in. So pay attention to your podcast feeds, to social media, follow at World Outspoken on all the different platforms. So you stay up to date and don't miss any of these bonus episodes. We've got some really, really interesting conversations uh, coming up. So, so be on the lookout for that. Elizabeth, any announcements on your end? You're going to be speaking here pretty soon at something important. You want to tell the audience about it? Sure. Emory and um, the Association for Hispanic Theological Education, AET, are uh, co-sponsoring an event at uh, the Emory um, Candler School of Theology in Atlanta. It's going to be a virtual, uh, a hybrid event, so you can join uh, virtually as well. Uh, perhaps you can uh, place that in a link at World Outspoken so people can see where they can connect virtually. Yeah, we'll make sure to be there and add the show note, uh, add the link to the show notes as well. It'll be an interesting conversation. It is going to be about theological education. Hofsman Ospino is going to be one of the speakers. I'll be a speaker. But we'll also have a panel of other folk who are going to be a part of that conversation. And it won't just be a Latinx conversation. It'll be a, a conversation where we speak with others as well um, about theological education, because at this point, it's not like what we're doing is off in a corner someplace. It's that some of the stuff that's taking place within Latinx theological education is actually becoming um, very important to the changes that are taking place uh, in theological education writ large. So it'll be a really interesting conversation. We'd love for you to be a part of it because there will be, uh, it's been done so that you're not just hearing us speak, but there's a lot of space for your voice. So we've done it in a unique way so that it's not just listening to voices, just the, you know, the main voices, but so that we can hear your comments and your contributions and your ideas as well. That's what this conversation is really about. So please uh, join us so we can hear your voices as well. That's really cool. And what were the dates for that? That's going to be it's in o October. It's in October. We'll make sure to get the dates. 23rd and 24th. 23rd and 24th. Awesome. And we'll make sure to get the, the link to the event up on the show notes for the episode and up on the social media platforms as well for World Outspoken so that you know and are aware. Actually, I misspoke. It's 22nd and 23rd. 22nd and 23rd. Perfect. You know, it's interesting. You talked about this being a conversation about how theological education is changing writ large. You know, how that there's changes across what's happening across the board in, in universities, institutos, everywhere. And your book is a part of a series. The series is titled Theological Education Between the Times. Uh, hinting in the series that the, the inherent idea implicit in that is that theological education is going through 
changes and it's time and it's season. Something is happening. And your book comes as a as a really interesting and unique contribution to that series. It's the same series, by the way, for the audience, for those that are familiar. It's the same series that has Jennings after whiteness. We, we spoke with uh, Dr. Willie Jennings uh, earlier in uh, season two this past spring. We spoke to him about his book after whiteness. Uh, your book comes as a contribution to that series. And it's called Atando Cabos. That's the that's the primary title. I found that title really interesting. You know, translated for those that don't know, it's tying loose ends. It's a metaphor, a, a picture, it seems, uh, of completing a tapestry. Why this image? As you thought about the contribution you were making to this series, theological education between the times, why tying loose ends? There are a lot of reasons for that. First of all, um, in this time where there's a lot happening, there's changes, there are new things and old things that are coming into being. And so um, how do we connect those pieces, right? Those are some kind, some of the loose ends. But also in Latinx uh, theological education, the loose ends are about how it is that we've created our particular knowledge, I want to say, there is a knowledge that we have about ministry and so forth versus the knowledge that we feel that we have to engage because it's the knowledge that's being imposed on us, either by the school that we went to or because our denominations sometimes have imposed particular curricula upon us, which includes certain textbooks that have been translated and that sort of thing. So it's, you know, you can't get away from um, how things are juxtaposed and interfacing and invading to a certain uh, degree. But when you're trying to make sense of what does this mean and that mean, so that's the atando cabos piece, right? I see, yeah. I don't want this piece, but I want this other one. And we're creating these fabrics here, right? We're creating these threads, and we want to make sure that they're valued as well. So, you know, it's all of that kind of working together. And I think that when we contextualize, which is what we've had to do in the midst of all of this going on, right? Yeah. When you're not completely um, in power of what it is that you're creating and putting together, what we do is that we become real creative in contextualizing. Mm -hmm. And contextualizing is about these, how, how it is that we... Um, build a tapestry to, to, to go back to it with a lot of different kinds of fabrics. So how, and threads, right? How do I use a color thread that is not my color, is not, you know, coming from my people, but I have to use it. So how do I use it and make sure that it blends well? Yeah. So it's not just tying loose ends, but it's also putting, pulling together threads and fabrics that 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 you've inherited on some level, right? It's about, right. Um, you know, it's interesting to think about this idea. I've been thinking about this idea of a established canon, right? That there's an established curriculum and canon. If you go to seminary, if you go to Bible college, oh, you, you've got to read this book. Oh, you have to know about this church father. Oh, you have to know X, Y, Z, right? There's a, there's a kind of established canon. I think what you're saying is, okay, we have that established canon. But we also have these other threads and fabrics, and we're, we're going to pull these together and we're going to knit something new. Is that is that right? Am I hearing you correctly? <clears throat> yeah, there's a canon that they don't know about. 
yeah. right? And that we're discovering on our own. Mm -hmm. And so we're saying this counts as well. Yeah, that's interesting because the subtitle of the book stuck out to me as well. You said, you know, this counts as well. And er earlier you, you used the language of recognition. Um, you know, the subtitle of the book, Latinx Contributions to Theological Education. That is a lot to unpack there. I just want to, I want to get at this. The, does that subtitle hint at the audience of the book some? Are you, are you trying to say, hey, for those that haven't recognized it yet, here are the contributions de nuestra gente. Is that right? There are two audiences here. Think of it as two circles. The um, inner circle is the Latinx community. Um, there's always room for us to know, to stop for a moment and to say, oh, wow, yeah, we did this. Because many times we have conversations, we do things in classrooms as, as, uh, as, as professors, as instructors, um, we do things in classrooms. We, we say things in classrooms that are amazing. But because it's between you and me, we don't think it's such an amazing thing. We think it's, you know, a natural thing that it's an everyday kind of an occurrence, you know? I mean, what's so big about it, right? No big deal. Because we think that way and we do these things. But for those who are looking from the outside, from other communities, this is a big deal. There's a particular creativity to it. There's a particular uh, effectiveness to it. There's a, a different perspective to it. And it is a big deal. It, it helps, it brings an insight that no one had seen before. And it's something that, it is something that we live in every day and we have to be able to lift it up and recognize it um, as, as a very particular knowledge that we do have and that contributes to the whole. So that's important. And so then the next audience is the audience that should be engaging this as well. Uh, rather than seeing us all the time as, you know, that Latino brother and sister over on the side that they're trying to reach out to in order to help us, right? They need to be able to say, oh my goodness, this is such richness that is brought forth from these folk and we have been missing out on this knowledge yeah, we've been missing out. It sounds like the book presents the same challenge to two groups in their particular ways. What I mean by that is you're, you're challenging the Latinx audience to say, valoriza lo que tuyo, right? Don't take that internalized um, perception that your fountains of knowledge, the, the wells that you drew from, the, the fabrics, the threads that you brought with you into theological education, don't accept the internalized idea that, that this is not a value, that this isn't important, that it isn't useful, that it isn't even real knowledge, right? I remember the first time I heard someone say, a, a student of mine say something like, well, Teología escrito en español can't be that good, right? Unless it's translated. And I remember being shocked. I had a student saying, this was a student, a Latinx student saying, well, if it's, if it's written in Spanish, like theology in Spanish, that's not as good, right? Like, unless, again, unless it's a translation of something that was written by some someone else, right? And you can, you can guess who that someone else might be. But uh, so it sounds like your book is saying, no, to, to the Latinx audience, valoriza lo que tuyo. Right? You, you come with a set of threads 
that that are important and valuable and important. And then to the audience that has historically painted that picture, that has historically devalued those threads, you're saying, no, 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 there is beauty here so great, so important that you too need to benefit and see the richness that's here. Is that right? Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. And I think it's uh, from personal experience of students, I know how important that is, but I also know how, how long of a road it is to get both of those audiences to accept that. I find that the, the internalized audience, you know, the, the Latinx group, it takes them a long time to really believe that. How have you, how have you managed that? Or how have you nudged someone along? As they as they've been suspicious of their own their own folk, the threads that they're wearing. How have you nudged them? It depends on um, why it is that they can't value it, right? Some people can't value it because they've been taught to believe that it's not sana doctrina. That's yeah. You mentioned that in the book. Yeah, you mentioned sana doctrina. <laughs> That's in the book. that 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 perception that. There is, again, this canon, this established doctrine, and you right. have to hold to it. And they don't realize that when they hold to that doctrine, uh, what they're really holding on to are um, someone else's uh, cultural values as well, right? And, and, and let's be honest, they're holding on to some white supremacy here yeah. and not truly realizing it, right? And so... Um, Helping persons, this is why I start with a historical background. Yeah. Because we have to begin to see where things come from. And that's important. Uh, if we're going to ask someone to give consideration to uh, changing uh, or understanding how it is that they value things, to redefine how things are valued, right? Yeah. You have to ask yourself, well, where did this come from? And how is it that it gained such great value mm -hmm. and yeah. how does it really compare right to what we call revelation because really it's a tradition it's not revelation and that's the difference that we have to make we've been told that this tradition which is this valued knowledge is as important as revelation and it is not that's right? a good word you know, you, uh, yeah, you, you do in the book, and we'll talk about the history in a moment here. Uh, you do something in the book that I find really fascinating. You, you go back to history that in some ways is familiar, and yet in some ways you, you unpack it in ways that, that is really distinct, right? All of us Latinx folk know that U.S. missionaries went out in the droves, you know, by the droves to, to Latin America. We, we all know that. We, we're all familiar. Uh, de Puerto Rico, we know when they came. We can talk about that. All of us know, at least, have some sense at least, that uh, U.S. American missionaries, white missionaries, mainline particularly missionaries, went to Latin America. But what you do that's really interesting is you go, okay, but what, they, what did they take with them? Other than sana doctrina, what else did they take? And what even is this sana doctrina? But, but before we get to that, I don't want to get too far ahead of us because in the book, yeah, you start with history, but you don't start with that history. You actually start, and, and you don't really explicitly say this, but you, but you do start this way. You start with your personal history. 
you tell us a little bit about your background working as, as a Sunday school teacher, even even while you were yourself a, a, a young, you know, being discipled person, you were already teaching in the Sunday schools and helping in the church. That, that starts your book. You open with that. And I, I've been thinking about it ever since I've read the book. I've been thinking about this idea of how that affects every chapter of the ministry of Elizabeth Conde Frazier, right? How, how you've repeated that that discipline and that practice, how this podcast maybe is an example of you re, re-exercising that invitation of a, of, a, of a younger person being involved and invited right in to the fold. I wanted to ask, how is that intergenerational approach, the one that you were a part of as a kid, and maybe you can tell the audience a little bit more about that story. How is that approach that opened doors for you how has that shaped the way that you open doors for others? Well, it's extremely important because I saw that as a natural thing. Talking about the things that we value, right? That was an absolute natural thing. Opportunity. Opportunity is about self-discovery. And for me, one of the most powerful things that can happen to a, a person is to connect who they are with who God is and who they're supposed to be in the world. That connection is one of the most powerful things that can happen because you will have direction. The world can change, but you will always know who you are supposed to be in that world because your passion doesn't change. And when you connect that passion to the, to the dreams, el sueño del corazón de Dios, you are part of el sueño del corazón de Dios. And that's, that's part of what makes what is passion in us. Yeah? It's not completely. Why is it not completely? Because we're not clones. Because God made us to bring ourselves to co-create with God. And so what I can create what you can create is different, right? What's part of our creative energy is different than God's creative energy. And God looks forward to having Emmanuel bring his creative energy along with God. And that's part of the pleasure of God is to create with us and to engage that and to allow it to inform God's creativity. Now that may be a bit much for people, especially if you're always thinking that God has this plan and you simply fit into the plan. Well, the plan has this flexibility, has this openness and allows us to create with God. And God goes, wow, Manuel, that's like, que chévere te quedo eso, right? Mm-hmm. I like that. And then you know, God comes alongside and, and continues to, to give you, to allow your own power to be released. And that's why we have this world in which we can create good things. We can also that. create not good things, you see? Yeah. But that for me is what teaching is about. That's the greatest gift of teaching. Educare means to bring forth. So to bring forth what is in you so that you can bring that out into the world and fully be who you were created to be in the image of God. Ah, 
as awesome, right? Truly and amazing. That's, and that's our calling as teachers. And I've always known that teaching was my passion, my gift and my calling. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's that's what that's why you see it all the way across. And what that's why I don't prescribe that we do things in the book. What I do is I present alternatives and I present different groups doing different things because they are alternatives. And I say, let us give consideration to these things. What do they mean for us where we are at this time? That's a beautiful depiction of how we might grow together in conjunto, right? I, I think of, you know, you, you talked about it in your book as your personal story being you were invited to teach Sunday school and then you, you know, you were given at a young age the opportunity to teach even younger folk. And uh, it reminded me of the, the earliest churches that I was a part of, those little small storefront Pentecostal churches that I was a part of, right? In those churches, I've been thinking about this image uh, of being kind of invited to, to co-create. Everything about the service was an act of co-creation across mm -hmm. all the generations. Even, mm -hmm. even, even the music, right? I, I think about the difference between those little tiny Pentecostal churches I was a part of and this more kind of formal church that I've been a part of in the last few years. That One of those even subtle differences is that the little Pentecostal church would provide, you know, tambourines, a la clave, a cowbell, there might be some maracas, a guira, right? There, there, there's all these little instruments that'll be scattered throughout the, the chairs of the uh, And the you made a joyful noise. And you made a joyful noise, right? So the music could be a little bit chaotic as we co-create, <laughs> but, but we were all involved in the instrumentation, right? We were all involved in the, in the making of music for the Lord. And making together, as you always say. And making together, yeah, as opposed to you know, today, and this is across Latina, white, black, I've seen this in, in everywhere, uh, we've kind of centralized it. We, we've, we've moved the music up onto the stage. There's very few opportunities for anyone on in the pews to do anything other than sing, right? And, and so I, I've and just- And even then you can't hear each other singing. And even then you can't hear each other, right? So so again, not, not to get too far into the worship aspect of this conversation, but what you're painting is a picture that says, Everyone can be involved, and in everyone being involved, there's an education that happens there that changes all of us, and that invites all of us to see ourselves as intimately connected to what El Corazón de Dios, right, to, to what God is doing, what he, what he cares and loves to do in the world, which is to transform people. And I find that really beautiful. And in that transformation, it's to, we have to say more because it's about, it's about bringing love to the world. It's about making sure that all of the resources that are present belong to all of the people equally. And that's why we talk about justice, right? Justice is love correcting what's not taking, what's not allowing the love to truly flow, right? And, and that's part of making the world better. That's part of um, bringing life more abundantly, as Jesus spoke about, right? And we're the disciples of Christ, and that's and that's what we're about. That's that's the direction that we give to our passions, our gifts, our callings. Amen. 
Let's take a quick musical break to sit in that idea of love and justice and the relationship between the two. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that justice theme as it relates to rethinking our history, as it relates to some of the theological ideas and educational moves that Elizabeth presents in her book, Atando Cabos. We'll be back. All right, so we're back. We are talking not with a guest today. We're talking, it, this is in-house, con nuestra madrina. Estamos en la casa. Estamos en casa. We're, we're talking with, with Elizabeth about her book, Atando Cabos. Um, Elizabeth, you, you mentioned, you know, justice is an act of love because it's about setting things right out of love for the world, out of God, out of the character of God, God's love for, for the world as well. And one of the things that you look to set right in your book is is the historical account of what happened in Latin America when missionaries arrived. Um, you know, there are other books that go through this history, but what I, I found it really astounding was your observations about missionaries bringing with them certain kinds of baggage about politics, about advocacy, about engagement, right? Uh, there, Because they arrived to Latin America as, frankly, Even as... pedagogies. Even, Even pedagogies, pedagogies, right? Yeah, forms yeah. of education, right? But because they arrived to Latin America as immigrants, right? Uh, these white missionaries showed up to Latin America as immigrants who could not, therefore, because of certain aspects of their own political position in the countries they were in, they could not engage politically. And then they turned around and used that to teach their churches or their congregations or the people they ministered to it. No, I, you don't engage politically. But that was really mm -hmm. because they couldn't. And so that's one of the ways in which you kind of unearth, wait a minute, what was actually happening here, right? Uh, I was just thinking about this as, as you were unpacking that history. What challenges did you encounter when trying to dig into that history? Because I was really impressed and, and, and was wondering, you know, what art, I mean, was Elizabeth in archives? Like, what's going on here, right? But what challenges did, did you encounter when trying to, to piece that all together, to gather those threads together? <clears throat> well, first of all, um, let's let's be fair and say the history is much larger than what I could put in that little chapter, right? But the book is not a history book. Right. It, but we have to, we have to, uh, the name of that chapter is De Donde Vienes y a Donde Vas, right? Because we, in order for us to decide what directions we're taking, we need to know where we came from. And why is it that we're standing where we are today? And so that's why that was an important um, starting place for us to know. And what I've done is to simply feature, right, highlight uh, things that I thought were important for us to know that would give us insight for how we would move forward and that would help us to ask questions about what was taking place then Questions that would help us to redefine our own paradigms um, and help us to reconstruct and redefine 
things going forward. So that's uh, that's what I was looking for. It was um, I had the help of um, a good uh, research assistant who uh, is Grace Vargas, and Grace was able to find just really great things. Right, I'm not the historian; she is, and so she was very good at helping me find the particular things that I wanted. I said this and this and this and this is what I'm looking for. And she found a lot of those pieces for me. But as I read them, you have to ask those. You, you have to bring your questions to it, right? You have to bring the questions to it. And as, a, as an educator, I wanted to find out how, how we had been formed and why. And what have been, been the different ways in which we had been formed. What, and more particularly the powers, the, the way that power was constructed so that we allowed ourselves to be shaped in those ways, right? Mm -hmm. Power has to be constructed a particular way. So you have to realize that nothing is all good or all bad, okay? Nothing is all good or all bad. And that's why it's difficult to just say, well, here are the wheat and here are the tares. And that's why Jesus says, no, let's not go around trying to tear stuff up here. We're going to have to wait until the last day when mm -hmm. we're going to know lo que es que, right? Yeah. So, you know, as human beings, someone will one day critique us in history. Someone will one day critique us and say, well, you know what? Elizabeth wrote this book, but she left this and this and this out. And um, as a product of her own time, this is the lens that she was looking through. Yeah, that's who we are. And we can't help but be that. Okay? Yeah. That's, that's who we are. We can't help but be that. So that's the same thing with the missionaries, right? They didn't come in with bad intentions necessarily, right? Um, they came with what they believed at the time was the best way to work with us sure. and the perspectives that had been created of who we were as peoples were the ones that they had with them and so they brought the gospel we'll put that in in entre comillas you know quotes and what they understood the gospel was supposed to do for us and what they understood was sin and you know so on and so forth is what it was. Yeah. But they were people who were devoted to us, mm -hmm. who were devoted to what they thought would make us better folk. As That's well cool. as, as yeah, that is important. I mean, my great-grandparents came to know the gospel because there was this preacher who slept in hammocks outside under the stars and the rain and, the, you know, in, 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 you're in the tropical rainforest where my, my, my great-grandparents were. And, and that's the way this dude slept, you know, and he traveled on horse all the time. And sometimes the horse looked better than he did. <laughs> right? And so there was a lot of sacrifice there mm -hmm. to bring what they understood was the gospel for our lives at that time. And so you have to, this is why uh, people love them. It's through those bonds of love that we allow 
right? We give permission. We leave ourselves open to, we leave our, our, our souls open to being shaped by those that we love. Yeah. And we're not saying, oh, but um, they're white missionaries and uh, they're bringing Americanization here and this is what this means, right? Uh, we weren't quite sure what that meant. We weren't quite sure that uh, this was colonization. Some people were very sure that this was colonization, right? Mm -hmm. sure. But it's it's a controversy. It's, you know, we're in the midst of, of different voices and, and things that confuse and, and we're taking stances and so on and so forth. And how can this be? I mean, this is the gospel and look at how devoted this guy is to us. You see? Yeah. So the dynamic of love, right? That kind of dynamic of love doesn't allow you to see clearly yeah? what's what's taking place. Your your soul is simply open to um, what's flowing in that relationship, right? So we were open to receiving the gospel from persons who showed that love. At the same time, um, there were other power dynamics taking place. Yeah, And there were some people who were aware, some of the missionaries who were very much aware of the fact that they were controlling. And it was very much their intention to control. Can I speak um, to that? I, I want to I read a quote from your book, a couple actually. And I want to speak further to that because I think you're right, right? The, there's a kind of, there's a reality in which we have to say, as you go, you don't quite know. Right. That, that's probably the best way to say that. As you go, you don't quite know, meaning as you're going through the relational dynamics of life and ministry together, you don't always know all that's being brought in and taken out, all that's being experienced and not experienced. Right. You're, you're sort of blind to what what's happening in, in the in the present. But but you have these quotes in the book. I'll just read two of them and then we could talk about this history piece. And then I want to dive into some of the theology that you developed in the book. But you have these quotes. So I'm reading here. Quote, the Iglesias Históricas, mainline churches, became known for having an ethos of bourgeois liberalism. Or to put it kind of in a funny way, bougie liberalism. Since the experience of conversion was connected to aspirations of upward mobility. You also have a quote about your pastor in New York, one of the earliest pastors in your life. You say, our pastor held that to be Americanized was important if we were to, I'm emphasizing this, this is me, if we were to progress while also understanding that bilingualism was a benefit. There's this idea of upward mobility, of progress that got slipped in there, that got in that relational dynamic, it got brought in. There was an assimilationist tendency, I think, to that. Um, you know, last season, we spent a lot of time talking about an assimilationist threat. Mm -hmm. You know, how does that continue to threaten the, the formation of Latinx communities, Latinx churches? Um, how does that threat continue to persist as we go from the past time to this new time, right? Remember thinking in, in terms of the series of this book, how, how does that threat continue to persist? We're all part of bodies. We're all part of different groups. We're all part of different discussions in those groups. We're all, um, unfortunately, in these times, um, we're taught that if you go beyond, if, if you go to the other side of this argument, you're going to be on the side of wrongness. And so you shouldn't be on the side of that wrongness, right? We've demonized each other on the different sides of things. I think it's become, that's why it's polarized, right? We've demonized each other on different sides of this. 
you didn't have that before right you didn't have that before so now that's what we've done that's different than than before um while the the pastor moved people in that direction his desire was for an immigrant people to be able to make it in this society and at yeah. that time there were certain numbers of things that meant to make it but he also um so but he also said you need to be bilingual which was not a part of what you were taught at that time, right? At that time, it was like, you know, forget your Spanish and you, you're in America now and you have to know your English. But he says, no, 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 no. Uh, it's better to have two than just one, which was interesting, right? So he pushed back on certain things. There was a subversion. <clears throat> right. He also taught our parents how to push back when they went to parent and teacher meetings. And he told us, you must go to your parent and teacher meeting. And he did role plays so that we would know how, you know, what to say to that teacher and so on and so forth. While at the same time, he said, when you go and see your parent, your, your teacher, you must dress up to go see that teacher so that they value you because they think that, that his, at the time you would say Hispanics or Spanish people, because they think that Spanish people are nobody. So you have to dress up so that, you know, you look like you're somebody. And so that there's a sense of respect and they respect you in return. So it, it was about survival, right? So it's this Americanism, but, but it was about survival. The thing is that it got mixed up with, this is what it means to be church and to be the people of God. Mm -hmm. And so you have to ask yourself, that this is why the questions are what help us to move forward, right? What is, what is it today that the gospel is forming in us what ideas about how we live, about who we love, about who we don't love? What are those ideas? Who, who is it that the gospel is teaching us to demonize? Because Jesus never taught us to demonize anyone. He taught us to be careful of the Pharisees. And by the way, the Pharisees were our own people, our insiders. Yeah. Right? Yep. Hello. So what, what were those pieces? Mm -hmm. What were those pieces, right? So we have to we have to ask questions more because that will help us out of the blindness that you were that you were talking about. So it's this, you know, let's stand back for a moment and ask questions. At least we can discern. We can be a discerning people. We can't always be a perfect people, but we can be a discerning people. And if anything, even if we discern wrongly, which is a possibility as well, but at least the next generations can turn back and say, yeah, they discerned wrongly, but they still discerned. Yeah, it's a praxis, right? You're talking about it not is. just action, but reflection, spirit-filled yes. reflection. It's a, it's a praxis of spirit-filled reflection. Let, let's do some of that together here. Your book in, introduces, or not introduces, but it, it, you're presenting some of the ways that education has been developing in Latinx communities. Of course, you've got practical things like El Instituto Biblico, right? You, you talk a, a bit about that, but then you have more broader things, um, things like theological contributions that come from uh, Latinx communities. You've got um, frames for knowledge. We'll talk about that in a minute here. I want to think about some of these, these bigger theological contributions. You, for instance, uh, highlight Mision, particularly Mision Integral as a, as a central motivator for how the church has approached education. That education has always been about 
by the way, not just theological, but it's also been about acquiring other skills so that you can be effective in the mission of God, uh, about, about encouraging people to pursue their vocation. These are all things that we've talked about already in this podcast, right? Finding out where people are gifted, finding out where their passions are, connecting who they are to what God is doing, right? This is that idea of being whole in our mission, right? But I found this really interesting. So you talk about Misión Integral in the historic sense, right? René Padilla and some of the ways that all developed. And later you talk about the ways that second and third generation Latinx leaders today are pursuing Misión Integral in the form of advocacy and justice and, um, and those sorts of moves. Uh, I only bring that up because your book is about being between times, one generation and another, right? And essentially you're saying the older generation went from Visión Integral to political advocacy, which, you know, the younger generation is also talking about political advocacy, but this political advocacy became uh, more, more conservative and bend because they were swayed in that direction. Now, I have no intentions here to speak on behalf of my whole generation. No pretendo hacer eso. But I do know from conversations I've had that there is some distrust in a younger generation to continue to collaborate with older leaders who have been swayed into that political conservative engine, that evangelical engine. And your book invites us, as you get closer and closer to the end of the book, you invite us to co-create, right? To collaborate, to show trust in one another, to work together. And so I've been thinking about how Misión Integral has evolved, right? In the older generation, it evolved into this kind of conservative thing. In this in this younger generation, it's evolved into this advocacy justice thing. And the younger generation has reasons to distrust and perhaps not extend the kind of olive branch that the older generation is willing to extend to white churches, for instance, or white institutions. And that creates a tension between the two. Misión Integral begins in Latin America among main, mainline churches. What you find here is that, and you find it in Latin America, but in different ways, and it's, it's too complicated to speak uh, to both at the same time. But what you find here is that depending on who it is that is our main are our uh, partners in conversation. Who it is that we identify most with. And when I say we, I'm talking about the church, right? Who it is that our particular congregation identifies most with and why is what's going to define the direction that we give to our sense of advocacy. Mm -hmm. And so those arguments have made sense to our different generations differently. So let's take the, the argument on abortion, for example, right? Yeah. That's a very strong argument for um, conservative churches, and that's where they're going to put their advocacy. For a younger generation, that might be more liberal. And here's, again, there's such a, there's such a diversity because I know young people who are more conservative than some of the older generations. Yeah, right? it can be flipped upside down several times, right. sure. So, but for those who uh, have a, a different sense, 
of advocacy where they put their energies somewhere else, where they're putting their energy is around bigger picture kinds of things, things like poverty. And so if we bring the two into conversation with one another, first of all, there has to be respect. You can't create trust without there having been respect. So these things don't just like take place. They don't just happen. Yeah, we'll come from different places. Does that mean that we could never talk to each other? Does that mean that we could never have our own internal argument? Con respeto? No. Tenemos que tener respeto. You don't have to have trust right away if you find that you're, if, if what you're not trusting is each other's position. But my, but not, not having your position doesn't mean that I can't have respect for you. And that's yeah. important, right? Because in this, this polarizing kind of thing, we've lost respect. Hemos perdido el respeto los unos por los otros. And yeah. si perdemos el respeto, que es un valor, it's a value. Respect is a value of our culture. If we lose respect, we can't have any dialogue, period. Right? We can't have any dialogue. All we can have is our own direction. So just go in your own direction, jump at it, and forget about everybody else. Because if, if you can't have a sit-down conversation, now, a sit-down conversation doesn't mean that we can't be passionate. Because we are passionate, right? We go up, we, 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 we get heated, etc., etc. But if there's respect, I come back and I say, Manuel, I'm really trying to hear you here. Yeah. How do I know that you're hearing me, right? And we might come to understand we need to bring knowledge to this argument. And we might come to see, right, we do critical thinking. Critical thinking is helpful in this argument. And if we bring the stats, we're going to see, for example, in the case that I've just brought up with abortion, that abortion increases depending on the rate of the increase of poverty or not. It doesn't matter the yeah. laws that we have or don't have, right? Well, so maybe I me. can't maybe I can't go to a place lawfully and have an abortion done, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to have an abortion. Right. Right? Right. That's always existed. So but what what is helpful to a mother trying to make a decision is what am I bringing my child into? And, yeah, what's so missing, what's, right? yeah, and what's missing on the side of my white brothers and sisters who are saying, let's have this child is, okay, so we have the child. And now do you care that that child has education? Do you care that that child has the same uh, privileges that you have? Do you care about those things? No, you don't usually care. Right. You, you want us to bring the child to the world, but then you vote against us on other things. And that's what we have to look at, right? And we, we come to that through doing critical thinking and really being able to listen to each other. That's important. What's interesting is you're, you're challenging us to say change happens through critical dialogue. Change happens through critical dialogue. And, and our, respect is necessary to have that critical dialogue. And respect is necessary, yeah. And what's interesting is you're presenting it that as a respectful, critical dialogue. You're presenting that as an alternative to what we might say is, you know, going and building something completely new, as if we even could do that. 
right? As if we really could say, no, I'm done with this old thing. I'm going to go build my own new thing, right? Um, those are the alternatives available to us. You either try to build your own thing or you respectfully engage uh, the generation of, of Latinx leaders who, who chose a certain kind of advocacy for certain reasons, whatever those reasons might be. Is that right? Uh, Ed has a big span of different people with different thoughts about different things. Mm -hmm. And we've not built on holding on to our differences. We know our differences are there and we, we bump into our differences every now and then, but we build, we've been able to build by looking at what we can share together and what we can celebrate that we share together, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's how we can create together. But yeah, we need to understand feelings and so forth because feelings and all of that is what's important in the community right now. Yeah, We're not paying attention to the grief that's going on. I think that invitation to dialogue and conversation is the, is the hardest and yet most important aspect of this, right? Even if we believe that there were other forms of knowledge, we need to at some point find a way to talk to one another, right? And, and your, your idea of respect being fundamental to that, I think that that is, um, you know, respect is, is, is profound because it means acknowledging the other person's right to be human, right? To have ideas, to, to disagree, to even be wrong, right? To, to, and vice versa, for you to be human, right? For you to potentially be wrong. Um, and and so to respect. believe that we can grow. Mm -hmm. To believe that we can grow. Many times we look at what it is to be perfect as not being wrong. But that's not really the journey of who we are as human beings. Yeah. That's not really the nature of who we are as human beings. Yeah. Right? Our, but we do have in our nature the ability to grow, to change mm -hmm. our mind, to understand and therefore act differently. And to make it so that when I do understand and act differently, I become better as a human being because I become better at treating you as a human being as well. That's right. And if you look at the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, particularly Deuteronomy, which both Paul and Jesus quote up to Wazoo, you're going to find that the reasons that God tells us to do certain things is because it's not in our nature to do them. Right. And God is inviting us to grow and to change our nature. That's how we grow. So we're not all of a sudden going to be there. We grow into it. Yeah. I'm going to say something that might even sound a little heretical right now. Uh-oh. We have to understand that even Jesus, if we truly believe that Jesus was fully human, that even Jesus had to grow as a human being. Well, Luke Luke tells us so, right? That he grew. Yeah, but but then, but then, so we we understand that he grew until he was 12. And then from that point on, oh, Jesus 
knew everything, yeah. had it all together, et cetera, et cetera. And we fail to believe that Jesus had things that he had to grow into as well. Yeah, agreed. Right? And so there are many stories that we have spiritualized so that we understand that Jesus was always perfect. But that's because we understand perfect as never having had a fault. But perfect is about growing. Yeah, Elisa, you talk about, uh, I think we can tie these things together, this idea of respectful, critical dialogue, this idea of the the giving each other the opportunity and space to grow in, in light of Christ's invitation to grow into the fullness of humanity, him doing exactly that. Um, in your book, you have this quote, it's actually early in the book, but I think it's a great way for us to tie these pieces together. Um, you know, in, in your book, you write this, in theological education, we are likewise in an overlapping time, a time when the pressing season meets the coming one, and the new season is still not entirely apparent. I thought I'd ask you, I, I'd invite you to do a, a, a theological exercise of projecting forward and, and asking, where do you think we're heading and, and what do we retrieve from the past to continue to get there? I think that we're headed toward a time in which because of mobility, because of the ability to know more about different peoples and different ideas, that we're headed toward a time of re-understanding who we are as human beings and how we need to relate to one another. We're also headed toward a time in which climate change is real. And not only climate change, but the many ways in which we have disrespected the creation and where that's going to lead us. And so we're headed toward a time where we're going to have to do a whole lot more collaboration, um, but in a way in which we're going to have to do it in order to bring life to the many places that we have brought death to. And when I look at the next generations, they're already wired differently. Mm -hmm. They already, there are two things that I see in that generation that is full of hope for me. One is that they really understand justice and that they are really for justice. And that's extremely important. There are sensitivities that are, that are there already. They were born with them. And it's so important because those sensitivities are already a knowledge and they inform us as an older generation. We also have to understand that those sensitivities mean that we're going to have to do life differently because it's a generation that feels in much greater ways and we are taxed physically and psychologically when we feel more and when we know more through what we can sense in the world. Yeah. And so how we nurture and sustain 
that generation, how that generation understands to nurture and sustain themselves and to pace themselves differently is going to be important. Well, to that end, we continue, Elizabeth. Thank you for writing Atando Cabos, for giving us an opportunity to think about our patterns for growth together, to invite uh, continued dialogue between generations and to do so in ways that, that are respectful, even when challenging. And uh, and thank you for modeling that. I think this podcast, the, the ways in which we've, we've uh, inhabited this space together is a reflection of those ideas of trying to uh, continue to reflect that respectful dialogue. Lord, Lord knows we haven't always agreed in these podcasts. There have been episodes <laughs> that we uh, tackle topics from different perspectives, and yet we've done so in a way that I think is an attempt at modeling this this um, commit commitment to dialogue. And, and so I'm grateful for it. I am too, Emmanuel. I am. I am too. I'm very grateful for uh, your invitation for me to join you. Uh, in the formation of the podcast and so forth, and um, and the respect that's there, I very yeah. much appreciate that. And I've learned a great deal from your insights. Let's, Praise God. Let's, let's just put that on the table. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I'm humbled by that. Well, hey, familia. Obviously, what we want you to do now is to go online, go to Amazon, go wherever you go. Right? Go to go to Erdman's if you want to buy straight from the publisher. You're gonna go and you're gonna look up atando. Cabos. It's also written in Spanish. Uh, is the title the exact same in, in the Spanish copy? It starts the same, Atando Cabos, and it just says uh, Contribuciones Latinas a la Educación Teológica. Okay. So, uh, but it's a different publisher in that case, right? It is. It's Querigma. Querigma. Okay. So buy the book, Spanish or English. Get a copy for your friend, for your family. You might be thinking, but I'm not in theological education. It does not matter. If you're interested in the history of where, where your churches come from, if you're interested in how your churches have continued to take shape and how you might take shape as someone committed to loving Jesus, I think this book will still be of a benefit and gift to you. Again, the goal is to tie in all those loose threads all those loose ends that you feel that are a part of your Christian formation, how we might pull those things together to continue to be part of the tapestry of what God is doing. Elizabeth, you want to say a last word? All I want to say is thank you. And I hope that as uh, folk do engage the book, that uh, they'll let us know what they're thinking so that we can continue to grow. Yeah. You can always leave us a message to tell us what you want, uh, what you uh, thought of the book. You can leave it at 312-725-2995. That's 312-725-2995. Leave us a 30-second voicemail with your name, your city, and your comments about the book, your feedback, your reactions. We'd love to hear that. And you can also send that to us via social media at World Outspoken. Elizabeth, I'll see you a couple weeks in that conference. Yes, see you in Atlanta, brother. All right, sister.